Thanks for listening to Lost and Rewound. You can check us out online at lostandrewound.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Time to get embarrassed with us. I had a tape recorder when I was a tween, and in retrospect, those recordings were obscene. Travel back in time with the familiar sound. Let's all get lost and rewound. Episode 20, Showbots, featuring special guest contributor Cheshire Shanker. Oh, uh, hello again. This is the podcast called Lost and Rewound, and my name is Alon. I'm Melissa. I'm Doug. And this is episode 20, where uh-huh. we're going to talk about bebés. Bebés and the, uh... horoscopes and all sorts of hilarious religious things that, right? I guess, or kind of religious Kind of religious. And the, the, the theme for this episode really is bebés and being borned and... Yep. Uh, predictions from the future. Predictions how, of the future. I love how it took us 20 episodes to get to this moment. It got us to this moment. What, talking about babies and birth and... Yeah, we kind of been working back in time. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it's funny. Literally that and we, figuratively. Yeah, because we've been basically covering a number of different years of the youth of building up to, you know, at, in chronological order. But now we've kind of gotten to the fountain of youth and moved back a little bit, but for good reasons. So um, if you are not aware already by this point what we are even talking about, when I was a young in the sixth grade, I had a tape recorder and recorded myself, and this was called the Danziger Zone, a tape recording series that I was heralding my entire middle school years from about 93 to 1996, 1997. And it's taken us all 20 episodes so far to get from <laughs> exactly. from, from there back the full decade to sort of the 86-ish area that we're going to cover. We recorded an interview with Cheshire Shanker where we're going to go over her clip from when she was born and had her chart read. Uh, or more specifically, also, her parents had her chart done. Yes, that she did not come up with this idea. She'll tell us all about yeah. it shortly. And, uh, and then we're going to talk to uh, my sister about a clip from the night she was born. Hell yeah. Let's begin. Hell yeah. social worker working and living in New York. She hails from Indianapolis, Indiana, and now lives in Brooklyn. Please welcome her to the show. Welcome, Cheshire. Thank you. The nature of your appearance on the show is a tape that your mother had and you hadn't heard it for so long? No, I actually don't think I'd ever heard this tape. And uh, yeah, my mom was cleaning out her house and, and I found this tape about... A year and a half ago, but I've been having a lot of trouble finding a tape player to play it. You came to the right place. <laughs> you can, yes, this is the uh, right place to talk about tapes. The yeah. Lost Around team here for yeah, your tape playing like needs. It. So the nature of the tape uh, that said, you were not even really on this tape other than... Like, <laughs> yes, you, you hear my like infant screams. I just listened to um, part of it last night. It was done, I think, shortly after my birth in 1985. It was a present from my godparents to my parents. They were in kind of a 
hippie actor community in the East Village, and they decided to give them a full horoscope reading at the time of my birth. So it's the, the positions of the planets, literally to the minute when I was born. Tell us about your godparents. Your godparents are from New York, but your parents are not? My parents are actually from New York, um, or they're from New Jersey, and my and this, so they were all living in the East Village at, at this time, doing various things in the arts. Mm-hmm. Various, mm-hmm. not kidding. Various, <laughs> but uh, astrology was something of interest, and they decided to get your natal chart done when you were born. Yeah, I I don't know how much of interest it was, but it I it was it's it's kind of a neat present, you know. Sure, why not? My mom actually uh, had my natal chart done. I spoke about this to her recently. Really? Well, that's <laughs> but, interesting. Well, it's funny because, like, I actually today, uh, the day that we're recording this, I was like, "Mom, you gotta get me this needle chart. It's gonna <laughs> be relevant to our discussion for the show." She's like, "Okay." So she emailed it, and it's this really poorly, poor quality scan of the <laughs> of this natal chart that uh, that she had uh, our friend Angela Cohen made it uh, when huh. I was born and. I mean, you could see writing, but it just... It, it, I can't read anything for crap. So, Mom, thank you for sending it. I can't make out anything written on it other than, like, Mercury, Sun, Venus, Moon. And that's <laughs> about it. Here are some planets. But well, luck- I think you learned about as much as you can from it. From oh, Venus, yes. Sun, Mercury, Moon. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean a- that's you in a nutshell. Exactly. There really, truly is something to be said when you could have documentation in audible form. So let us take a listen to the first of a number of clips from this tape. I, you know, I, I kind of don't envy you your situation, but I think because she's such a special person, that situation has to exist. Um, on the one hand, all children need to be disciplined. It has to be. And on the other hand, even the simplest, mildest restrictions you put on her are going to seem just outrageous to her. And she just isn't going to believe that people would do something like this to block her will. And and I think it's going to take a lot of explaining to her that this is a normal thing, you know, that that you you realize she's a very strong willed person. You realize she needs freedom, she needs independence, she needs to be able to feel that she's doing what she has to do, but that you're doing it out of love and not just to be parents, you know, and, and to, to hold her back from doing the thing that she needs to do. And I think if you keep impressing that upon her as she grows up, you'll have you'll have better luck. Because otherwise it can get into this adversary relationship because the, the thing about Aries is that whatever you tell them to do, they'll say no. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. And if what you said was reasonable, they'll usually think about it and eventually say, okay. But only if you make it, them think it's their idea. So I think you, you'll end up using a lot of reverse psychology on her, you know, of sort of, it's not really manipulation, although it is, of, of trying to make her think things are her idea, um, rather than just imposing parental will on her. And of course, there are times when you're going to have to impose parental will on her, and she's not going to like it. And, and I think that that's a situation that you're just always going to have to deal with as she's growing up. Do you feel like you have an adversarial relationship with parental authority? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I don't. I'm really, I'm pretty timid around authority. I don't know if you could glean that from what she was saying in terms of maybe when people have said no to me, I get really shut down and, and scared. But I, I definitely, it's not a fiery Aries response that I feel. Okay, so there is some, <laughs> some part of that 
And what you're saying is that you don't always have a positive interaction with uh, authority, but no one does, so that's just <laughs> stupid. Right, the whole concept of authority, it's not... Is, yeah. No one right. loves it. Right. No, no one loves it. Okay. Right. It's one, it's one of those astrology things where they can say something that is applies to everyone, and you're like, ooh, yeah, that's totally me. Nobody likes authority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of those on this. She'll need to think it's her idea or reverse psychology. Okay, have teenagers? Right. Mm-hmm. That's basically every parent-child relationship. Yeah, it'll apply at some point in your life, without a doubt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> When did you decide that you wanted to get into social work as a career? That was a that was my my second career try, I suppose. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was a career changer because I hardly did the first one. I I got into it be after my parents' adoption of my younger sister. Um, it was really the process of the the social work evaluations and and the way the whole process worked. It was super inspiring and made me want to be a social worker. So I mean, what kind of social work do you do? Do you work with the city? Do you work with like a nonprofit or a hospital? I work for a nonprofit doing geriatric social work. Okay. So I work with older adults. That's cool. Yeah. Completely random in terms of I thought I was going to work in adoption, really. My, my first career try was to be an elementary school teacher. And that did not go well. I did not like that. Too much authority you have to deal with. Too much authority. There actually that was because I I loved the the kids aspect of it, but dealing with the administration and the Department of Education. Oh, sure. I've, I mean, I've, yeah, I've heard that from other friends who yeah. are teachers or who work in education that the worst part about teaching is administration. Like kids are great. There's certain things you put up with as a teacher, but you do it because you love teaching. Right. The principal can go fuck himself. It was not for you. Well, what, where were you working precisely? Where was the precise elementary school? That well, you were so I actually at? worked in two different schools: in um, one in Far Rockaway, Queens, and one in Lefferts Gardens, Brooklyn. Okay. And and it is true that I think if I was at different schools, I might have had a different experience and maybe taught for longer. Though I don't think that was kind of meant to be my career. I remember we had to um, buy our own copy paper to make copies for our classroom, which is just ridiculous. They didn't all have their own laptops to look at things on? You couldn't just... <laughs> no laptops. You couldn't Skype no them a PDF. iPod, iPods, iPads. Yeah, none of that. Yeah, we didn't even have smart boards, which are pretty standard at this point. Um, what is a smart board exactly? <laughs> it's just like we, a, They're super cool. We had one like on our iPad, but like for the educational system. It's, it looks like a standard whiteboard, but they've got, um, there's a projector, like we always use them in math class, so they could, the teacher could like preload a PowerPoint slide and then do the problem with you on the slide, and like have graphics and... I could see that. It yeah, sort of take like an iPad, but make it a whiteboard. <laughs> right. Huh. Slightly less flashy technology graphics video. Yeah, make it just cool enough for an elementary school teacher to have it. <laughs> <laughs> let's, exactly. Let's listen to the, the second clip. Okay. Because the thing about this chart that's so interesting is that on the one hand, she's, she's very much going to be an innovator in whatever it is she chooses to do, and she won't be one of these scattered types. I think she'll probably go into one kind of field and stay in that field, whatever it may be. I sort of lean toward art, but you never really know what's going to happen until it happens. On the other hand, she's, she's an innovator, but she, she really needs... Um, to be in some kind of structure that she can get approval from and that she can rise in some kind of hierarchy and uh, be adored. <laughs> it's, uh, her sun and moon are in the fifth house, which is right here. You know. 
and that's the Leo house, and Leo is the sign of the actor. Um, <laughs> it's the sign of people who must, their whole life purpose is creative self-expression, and that can take, that can be children, because this house also rules your relationships with children. It, it rules romances and uh, love affairs and anything that's sort of a, a child of the mind, you know, it can be a child of the mind, child of the body, but it's, it's most often art or acting, something which your essence, you know, is put out there in the world for people to appreciate. And these people, uh, so she has sort of a leonine veneer over the top of that Aries, which, which will help to make it uh, less harsh, I think, because she will be very much into dignity and being dignified, you know, and, and that if I'm going to be an innovator, I'm going to be a tasteful innovator, you know, she's very going to be very much into taste and, um, and good form and that sort of thing, even though she'll be very energetic at the same time about it. A highly ethical person, highly ethical, almost to a fault, you know, with, with so idealistic that she may not allow herself to to be a frail human, you know, that sort of thing. And it's important as she's growing up to instill in her over and over again that it's okay to make a mistake. People love you, you know, if if you're not perfect all the time. That's that's one terrible problem that Leo's have. And and fire signs in general have that problem. They just get so caught up in what they can see in their vision as the best way to be and the best thing. But they, they have trouble realizing that that is a goal to reach and something to shoot for, not necessarily something that has to be embodied when you're two years old or something like that. And it's very important to uh, to let her know that and, and so she doesn't get on this, this guilt trip with herself. So now getting back to the fact that you worked in education and didn't really have the most positive experience, <laughs> uh, I think it really drives home the point that with hearing this, how you have such an idealistic sensibility, um, apparently in the wings, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. did that, that, that translated pretty well, I imagine, to having to deal with uh, working as an educator. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And I think also, I mean, so after teaching, I decided that I wanted to go on to grad school in social work. Of course, um, grad school is expensive. And so I worked for about two years as a nanny in Manhattan. So I, I do very much love children to what she was saying. And I feel like I, you know, I very much enjoy being around and, and working with children, even though that's not what I'm doing now. There's, there's so much in that clip that was, that was interesting a, to me. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of really <laughs> heavy stuff in there. It kind of wanders around. And I, I almost, does. before we get too much further into this tape, I almost sort of want to start a running tally of things she gets right and things she doesn't. Well, it seems like both things thus far are on the money, right? But it's also, I mean, this stuff, again, yeah. very broad, very vague, like, and you like, know. But, like, she kept coming back to, like, innovator and creative expression, like... Right, which is which is interesting, but, I mean, doesn't everyone want to think of themselves as an innovator and as a creative person? Totally. Right? Well, every, <laughs> like, every parent wants their kid to yeah. have that, I think. When It's funny, when she said actor, um, and then you hear my mom laugh, I'm 100% certain that my dad gave my mom a look being like, oh, fuck no, because my parents were actors and they were struggling actors. And as I grew up, one of the mantras in my house was do not go into the arts. 
arts is a hobby, not a career. So I'm sure when she said that, there was a, there was a look exchanged. What kind of work did they do in the theater arts? My dad, my dad was actually, so my dad was actually a writer, um, and he did writing and producing. Um, he was also a musician. He played a little bit of everything, but then, um, did the drums and we had a big bass always in the house. My mom was the classic actress slash waitress for, for many years. And then, and then they had me and decided that they wanted to, to make some money, I guess, to live a little bit more comfortably. Um, Why and did that take them to Indiana? Yeah, and that's say. that's when we moved to Indiana. They both went to law school in Indiana when I was about three. Interesting. Mm-hmm. After the lawyer. Yeah. That's, that's not a way to have a lot of extra money, though, to go to law school. <laughs> to go to school. <laughs> but it, you'd be surprised. In Indiana, the price of living is so much cheaper. Um, you know, I don't I think, think I would be surprised. <laughs> I, I think I would be yeah, annoyed right. at how long I paid so much. Oh, oh goodness. Yeah, no. My, my friends back home, when they tell me about their rents, it's really disturbing compared to what I'm paying in Brooklyn. <laughs> Indianapolis is a pretty, from what I understand, pretty spread out, but otherwise very small city for a major for a capital it's a capital of the state no it is it is it's actually it's located in the exact geographical center of the state it's called the circle city and there's a monument in the physical center of the state and the whole city supposedly kind of goes out from there and it was designed by the same person who designed washington dc Hmm. So, uh, LaFont? Yeah, Pierre, Pierre LaFont. Oh my yep, goodness, I did old... not know his name. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, Doug's from right out on the northern side of D.C. We used to go to LaFont Plaza and call it Elephant Plaza all the time Aww. when I was a kid. Yeah, no, yeah, I was from further south in Virginia, but spent plenty of time in D.C. as well. Oh, neat, neat. Let's, uh, let's listen to the next clip see what we got. Aye, aye. And her particular imbalance is that she's very high on the fire signs, which we, I've already talked about. It's very idealistic. Um, what she's low on are air signs and that's that's going to be a difficulty for her simply because we need the air signs to be able to objectivize our experience and be able to look at it and, and think about it rationally and she's going to be so intent upon rushing in you know having a desire having to act on it and rushing out into the world you know that's one of her charms it will also be one of the things that will drive you crazy <laughs> so one thing that you could really help her to do, and this may not be easy, but you could help her by teaching her to look back, step back, and observe what she's doing and what's going on in her life. And one thing I, I tell people when they're old enough is is to um, make lists, simply to get into a habit of making a list about what's, what do I want, make a list, what's going on, make a list. Um, it's really helpful. It's really helpful because Aries are very intellectual people, but they're not terribly objective. And it's important to instill in her the ability to be objective about her own experience because then she won't get mired down in, in this kind of idealistic guilt thing, you know, that, oh, I do that well enough and I don't know what I want anymore and I'm all bogged down in this. And to be able to just sit back and talk about it with herself or with somebody else will really help her out. Um, she's she's a, um, okay on Earth, which is good, because she, she will accept her body and accept the physical part of things. And she's very good with money. That's another thing. Uh, she has Mars and Taurus, Taurus being the 
the money sign, quote unquote, you know, other things besides the money sign, that sign. The Mars in Taurus is very important for her chart because otherwise she would never finish anything. Thank God. <laughs> no, there are things to make up for all of this stuff. She, she's just all this fire. She's going to see things and say, I've got to change the world. I've got to do this thing. And she'll go right into it. And the first time she gets resistance, it's really going to unsettle her. And she's going to say, you mean the world isn't just going to do what I expected to do, and that's going to upset her very much. And that's where her Taurus will come in, because that's a very patient sign. Are, we, are there Tauruses in the room here? Well, she'll be a very father-identified child. I think that she will be a very father-identified child. She'll probably look up, to, I mean, she's going to look up to both of you, but it, I think she'll be a very father-identified child. And your examples, both of your examples, both parents' examples make a big difference. But your example is going to be very important. It's really <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's part of being a parent, isn't it? <laughs> the Mars in Taurus is very good because she will aggressively go after the things that she values. And there's a lot of aggression in this chart anyway. And this kind of takes that aggression down to earth and says, wait a minute, you know, I, my dreams are wonderful, but if I really want to do something, I have to deal with the physical world, and I have to compromise, and I have to wait, and I have to be patient. And that's, that's a very, going to be terribly difficult for her patience, but this Mars and Taurus will help her out very much. Um, I think she'll have good experiences with men, very good experiences with men. And men will come into her life who will be very helpful to her and help her to achieve the things that she wants to achieve. On the other hand, she will have such an attitude towards authority <laughs> that you know she'll always be juggling that. Authority is going to be a, a major problem for her um, because authority will feel like something that restricts her. So that's the, the second time you've been characterized sort of as a idealist with high moral principles <laughs> that has issues dealing with both adversity in those moral principles and authority. Right. And the first aspect of that uh, strikes me as something that applies very directly to someone who is in social work who has a well-tuned moral compass and a ethical purpose. But it right. doesn't strike me as someone who would take up social work to have issues with adversity in their work or authority, because those both seem inherent in social work to me as an outsider. Well, it's interesting in the in the beginning, she was kind of describing some very, like, kind of impulsive, wild child type of person. It sounded a little bit sort of like Jessa, almost, from Girls. Like, yeah. every five minutes has a new idea and a new place and a new plan. And a... Totally. Totally. And I, I don't so much see myself like that. <laughs> I think I think I have, you know, at times maybe in in my younger days gone through through some things as we all probably have as as a as a young adult I'm pretty practical, um pretty reality based. You 
chuckled mightily at making lists. Is that because it seems like, yeah, duh? Right. Or, I'm just like, just why the- is this psychic <laughs> telling my parents that they should teach me to make lists? Like- I, yeah, your, your mother had <laughs> a very, very audible whew, when like, she told her uh, about the whole money-saving thing. She'll be good with money. Right. Are you good with money? I would. I think so. Or yeah. Reasonably responsible. I think I am good with money. So. Do you have to make a list to make sure you know like how to budget your? You know, stuff? I do make lists, but but don't most people make lists? I think you have to. I, I'm terrible <laughs> at making lists. Right. I've been very good at making recreational lists, but not <laughs> actual important person useful use, useful activities day to day things list. But now I, I do do that. One of the other things I noticed there was. Well, I guess the aggression thing came up again, yeah. uh, as Doug pointed out, but also the desirability. Your your relationship with guys uh, growing up, and you know, maybe as a mate, you have discovered things about yourself as a person, and how that has manifested itself working in your profession. I guess, for instance, as described, do you feel like your relationships with significant others have helped you accomplish your goals? I don't, I don't know. I, well, I would say definitely my current relationship does. When you are with a good partner, they motivate you to be at your best. Sure. And so I'm 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 definitely there now. I don't I don't think, you know, all of my past boyfriends yeah, have done not, that. Certainly not throughout. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's right. had a couple shitty ex-boyfriends. Exactly, right. At, um, at first glance that that could be one of those statements that applies to everyone, but it it doesn't apply to everyone. Not everyone has that or finds that or That's true, has people. that as a significant part of their life. This exercise this evening, as much fun as this is, it feels a little bit like uh, like reading back and like looking at Nostradamus's little poems or predictions that he made and said, oh, well, then this must have obviously been about this event that right. happened to him <laughs> years ago. And he totally, if you read half of this one and the last line of this other one, then he totally called that Hitler thing. Nostradamus is a fucking phony. He thought that the world was going to end December 21st, 2012, and look what happened. Nothing. Big, fat, nothing. Weekly World News taught me nothing, and he taught me even less. I mean, we are all Shopping. dead. Shopping. Yes, we are all dead. We're in purgatory, right? Yep. <laughs> right? Most perpetual <laughs> purgatory. Melissa, did you feel we should be taking it from a different tact? No, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I think it's like it's fun, and I think in hindsight, it's either to say, "Oh, well, yeah," like I guess this is a time that I overcame adversity, or a way in which, like, trying to plug things in to make it fit exactly. Mm -hmm. Which I think is part of the psychology of astrology in general is that they make enough general statements that you can pluck out the ones that apply to you. Even the impulsive things I have done in my life, I feel like have been kind of planned. Like what exactly? Um, Well, I'm just thinking, I mean, when I was 18, I actually took a year off between high school and college and went to Bolivia. And I volunteered and I traveled. But I planned that. And I made allowances and and room so that I could do that. You know, I I applied for college and then I deferred a year. Um, So, you know, I, I had all my ducks in a row before I went and had that adventure. Do you think that ability came from some planning on the part of your parents because they were warned about it by this <laughs> there you brilliant go, genius? Right? So and, maybe. You made some, and you made some lists so that you could plan ahead with your money yeah. and be able to take this year. You made a list of colleges to apply to. It's all making sense now. All my parents' parenting were from warnings from this uh, psychic reading. Let's take a listen to the next one. Now, after she turns about 30, we, when we're 30, we, everybody goes through what's called a Saturn return. 
and Saturn is like here in the sky as you're born, and then it takes 30 years for it to go full circle back to the place where it originally was. And if you think about your own life when you were around 29 years old, you could probably think of all of these things that happened to you that were very incredible and changed your life, and you were sort of different after all that happened. Now, when she turns 30, I think you can just sort of sit back and wait for this, because it's, there isn't much anyone can do with you before that, uh, sort of the threshold into adulthood. It's when you realize that you've just got to settle down, and you can't do everything you thought you could do when you were 18. And these are what your options are, and this is how you think you're going to do your life. And I think her Saturn return will be very intense for her because those um, messages, those lessons are going to come through in many ways. And after it's over, I think then she'll be able to settle down a little bit and, and really concentrate her energy into doing something um, good for people and maybe good for the world. You just don't know what's going to happen. You just never know. But... As I was working on this chart, I ran across in one of my books uh, something that said the second 20 years of this century are going to be very tumultuous, and one of the things that's going to happen is the spheres of art, religion, and um, ethics, philosophy, are all going to come together, and people are finally going to start living what they've been saying they're going to live, you know? all these centuries, are finally going to happen. And there are going to be people who are agents of that. And I sort of feel like this kid is is, uh, is one of those people, because this is a chart of somebody who's very... Religion is very important to her. Very important. Whatever that religion may be, you don't... Who knows you know, what, what the actual faith will be, but whatever that faith is will be very important. But it's not something that can just be pie in the sky, because she's with that Mars and Taurus and other things that are going on in this chart, she's really got to live it. It's got to happen for her. And um, then with all the artistic overtones in here, I really think that that might come out in her art. You were about to say, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're the artistic messiah. You're falling in love with this woman a little bit, I think. No. This <laughs> <laughs> Total crazy bullshit. <laughs> okay, I, do all just, right. I did actually. Two, I had one little factoid I wanted yeah, to throw out there. Throw it out. That occurred to me while we were, while we were listening to this. No doubt's follow up album, Return of Saturn, yeah. was a reference to the fact that it was recorded the year Gwen Stefani turned thirty. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that. That is a pop up video if I ever heard. Yeah, hell's yeah. I think I actually got that one from TRL. Not to derail the conversation. Let's. No, no. I remember <laughs> that album coming out, and and I was like, "What the fuck does that title mean?" And sure enough, that's what it does mean. Uh, but <laughs> incidentally, uh, Cheshire, you had a thirtieth birthday recently, and how eerie is it that we're listening to this with those references we're hearing? It is after you just turned thirty. It is very eerie, and and the eerie thing is that that we kind of made the connection to do this podcast on my thirtieth birthday. That's um, right. I found the tape recorder to play this tape on my 30th birthday. Wow. So how bizarre. And some of the stuff she's saying, I mean, you know, obviously... <laughs> as far-fetched as it may be. Right. Um, in terms of the kind of figuring your shit out at 30 and 29 being kind of a big year of things happening, yeah. it's, it's a little spot on. Like, a lot of stuff happened right before my 30th birthday very kind of exciting life, big life stuff. I got a new job that I'm very excited about and that I can see myself in long term. 
and I, I, I bought a car, which felt like a really big <laughs> kind of adult thing to do. So it definitely did feel like a like a big a big milestone for many reasons, despite not only that it was thirty. Yeah. Um, and and what she was saying about religion too. I'm I not. I got to ask. Isn't that important to you? Well, so I'm I'm not religious myself. Um, I wasn't raised uh, with any religion, but I studied comparative religion in college, and I was super into it. I spent one summer living at a Zen Buddhist monastery. Cool. Um, I went to five months of seminary school to learn about that. I was really committed to becoming an academic, really, or an expert in world religions. Um, I think that's one of the frequent potential outcomes of not being raised strictly mm-hmm. in faith. Right. Because as an outsider, it can appear so bizarre and almost magical. And it's <laughs> supposed to be magical to right. a large extent. It was like I had, was raised Episcopal, but my parents didn't care about it. So I had so, some of the same experience hmm. where I thought, well, this is crazy. What other crazy things are people thinking about? So I was if, like, a reli- if this thing is true, what else is true? Yeah, what, el- <laughs> what other crazy things do people think? God knocked up a virgin, had a son who lived for 30 years, then he killed. Then he died, but he brought him back to life. So now we can all go hang out with God I, and yep. we eat him every Sunday. Yes, that's, and, and drink <laughs> his blood. And in correlation to that, this Indian prince figured out how to live on one grain of rice a day. Yeah. No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you doubt that that's possible? <laughs> yes, I do. Let's keep. Let's keep going. <laughs> Um, she probably will have a lot of Geminis or Gemini-like people in her life. Um, she will be attracted to people who are very verbal, who are very controversial, who um, know a lot of people and are into a lot of things, because I think she's going to be so, so concentrated in herself about what it is she wants to do that she's going to be very attracted to people who are sort of all over the map and are very diverse, and are able to talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime about anything. I think that's going to be her um, her situation. And she may end up with some pretty unstable people, you know, <laughs> like kooky types. But, uh, you know, I think that that's just what's going to happen. And she'll learn lessons from that. But Gemini types, you know, if they aren't actual... Gemini people who were born during Gemini, they, there are types of people who just act like Gemini. So, um, I think controversy is, is going to be important to her, but the tension of the controversy is that she's going to want to be accepted and loved at the same time, and, and she, it's sort of like she's going to go out and, you know, slap people in the face and say, well, you know, change this, and they'll get mad at her, and she'll be like, well, what's wrong with them? You know, what? Why are these people angry with me? I don't understand. And then see them as being horribly restrictive of her. And how could these people do this to me? And it's that sort of dynamic that's going to be set up. And I think the best thing you all can do for her is is just let her know that, that what she is is wonderful, but other people are different. And sometimes they're not accepting of people who give them the truth. See what I mean? If you go up and tell somebody that this is wrong, 
they may be invested in that wrong thing. It may upset them terribly, you know, that, and she's not going to see that because she's going to think everybody just really wants to know what the truth is. Truth is the most important thing. And uh, I think if, if you could somehow get it across to her that the world isn't like that. A lot of people are really invested in not the truth happening. And that's a horrible thing. It's a terrible, horrible thing, but it, it is. And she doesn't have to accept it, but she does have to live with it. Like all of us, right? Double Messiah. Truth down from the mountain. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. As I was listening to that, I was thinking about... So the work that I'm doing now, actually, is I'm, I'm mostly working with caregivers for people with dementia. Okay. And a big part of that work is working through the emotional stuff so that they can then make real plans for the future. Um, dementia is a neurodegenerative disease that ends in death. And it sucks, and it's really hard and can be really awful. And, and just part of my job is to kind of get people to the place where they are preparing themselves for that. So it's weird that that kind of is me, that I am this, this truth teller. In a, in a way. What about the Gemini part that she kept talking about? Have, have you dated lots of Geminis or two-sided people or? Well, I would say that, that my best friend, um, who I've been close with since we were both eight, is a Gemini. She is, she's like a very, very important person in my life. So maybe that's her. I don't know. When I first met you, Cheshire, um, it was 2008, 2009, and, uh, we met through nightlife, the bar scene, and, uh, Linda, your friend Linda, mm -hmm. whom you are speaking about, yes. <laughs> was essentially the reason we met because you were sort of tagging along with her and her grad school friends. Uh, you were in grad school, but not in the same program as her, correct? Yes. When I first moved to New York City, she was like the only person I knew here. She's the type of person who kind of just amazing people gravitate towards her. So she always has, wherever she is, but she kind of keeps moving around. Um, she always has kind of like an amazing group of friends around her. And so all of them were lovely enough to allow me to tag along and hang out with them. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't they? You are like a truth teller. Oh, geez. Well, yeah. <laughs> Even back then. Although sort of a passive truth teller, the way the astrologer keeps talking about it, that when you run into adversity, you're going to wonder how people can do this to you. And like, she's sort of <laughs> right. granted, she's talking about an infant. We, we hear you cooing in the background at one point. The whole tone is sort of very passive that these are this is your life that's going to happen to you. And you seem much more like very sort of take charge and figure it out, like much more active. That's true. I don't slap people in the face with the truth either, as that's she true. was alluding to. Yeah, that's that's not what I do. Continue. I mean, for a while, she'll be, she'll be like, these people, all they do is talk about things. You know, why don't they want to do something or go out and have a party about it or something. <laughs> but she, I think the example you give will really show her that that's important too. That that is helpful to her to have those qualities of being able to rationalize your experience and take a step away from it so that when you're hurt, you're hurt but you're not hurt that bad because you can sort of step away and say, well, okay, you know, I understand that this happened because of this and that factor, and it's not just the whole world ganged up on me all of a sudden. And that's a real gift that you can give to her. Um, because she'll be so dramatic, uh, so incredibly dramatic. It's um, to teach her to be able to stand away from her, the drama of her own life, I think, is, is really a positive gift that you all can give to her. Um, 
Uh, one thing I would caution, though, is is to really just let her unfold. And that's where I say disciplining is a really tricky business for you all, because if you let her unfold too much, mm -hmm. then, you know, too much permissiveness is a problem. But on the other hand, trying to dictate what she will and will not be, whatever you tell her she should be, she will say no. No. So it's, it's a real sort of balance that you've got, because, you know, you, you've got to set some limits for her. But she will rebel against every limit you set. And at some point, you're just going to have to say to yourselves, I believe in this limit. I'm the, I'm the parent. You are the kid. Do it. And she's, she's not going to like it much, but I think in the end, she'll you know, respect you for it, and um, you'll be doing her service. Fifteen is going to be a great oh, year. Oh, adolescence. <laughs> oh, adolescence. Yeah, because she's she's a rebellious I kid. I mean, it sounds like typical fifteen, what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to have it. Sort of like a lifelong adolescence. <laughs> right. Yeah, which should be quite an incredible year. But you see, there's, there needs to be a lot of rebelliousness in the world nowadays. You know, there's there's so much going on that she will see as wrong, and I think most people who think about it agree as wrong, that's going on in the world today, that, that you know, that is really a necessary thing, and she will be able to, to really give that to the world. It's like, no, I see a better way. I can't live like this. I won't take it. And that'll be a cost to her, because all people who change things do so at great cost to themselves. But um, I think that she'll just have to do what she has to do. I mean, because look at that smile already. Her face has so much character for a baby. <laughs> it does, because think of it, most babies just sort of look like babies, but um, so there's a lot of personality coming through already. This is one very charismatic person. Yes. Every time I say that, she's like, Cheshire for president. You heard it here first. President, <laughs> president Messiah. Art and Justice Society Messiah. Um, I think that was probably the best part of that little clip because we've I don't know, I feel like we've already talked to death the part where you're not actually some high strung drama queen, self righteous no. Right, did you hear her say adolescent for life? My goodness, who could live that? Adolescent like that? for life and president. And uh, Messiah. Right, right. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the presidential nominees for this particular go-around are <laughs> kind of right. have a hard time going out of the adolescent. hey <laughs> Sorry, Ted Cruz. Are you the life of the party? <laughs> uh, no. No, I don't think I am. I am someone who, who is very... I am proactive. I think that's true. I do like to do things. And I think also kind of as part of my career, like one of the reasons I went into social work is because I want to... When I see things, I want to I want to do something about it, and that's you know injustice is a big thing that that we talk about a lot. A lot of what we cover on this podcast is you know sort of dissecting who we were as middle schoolers, teenagers, mm. kids in general. And I did find it kind of remarkable. Your mother was quipping, oh, "I can't wait till she's fifteen or something like that," right? And the whole nature of you having a, an adopted sister who's thirteen now. Do you see how she is, and you're thinking to yourself, like, I hope she's not like I was when I was a teenager, or <laughs> vice versa, or not even, not even the case. Well, I think, 
as most adult children, I don't really remember my teenage years being all that difficult, but I'm sure my, my mother would tell a very different story. And I think my sister is going to put my mom through the ringer. <laughs> that, that is a fact. To clarify, your, your adopted sister, she's only 13 now. Yes, and, yeah. And she's developed no such a behavior that would compare and contrast as uh, dramatically to the one that you had growing up. <laughs> well, you know, there's... Because there's... Dr- dramatically, because you were very dramatic. <laughs> she she is probably more dramatic than, than I was, I would say. Okay. But then, um, now I'm thinking, you know, there's nature and nurture, and maybe, you know, my my mother having been an actress, maybe she's the she's the dramatic side. And, and we're getting that from her, right? So the drama is filtering down through the generations? Maybe. Maybe that's the nurture. She's nurturing the drama. That's terrible. No. I don't know about that. <laughs> it is Mother's Day coming up. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Happy Mother's Day, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Way to be dramatic. Oh, no, I... <laughs> we have a few more clips to go. Let's take a listen to the next one. And she will, she'll want to make people over. You know, she'll want to make the world over. She'll, she will give you the most insightful criticisms of yourself when you're too young to even really be able to know any of that stuff. And you'll just get so angry that, you know, you're just like, you're just a kid. How can you be saying this to me? And it's important to let her know that what she's saying is true, but that that there are some things that we can't change about ourselves right away, and that it takes time to work on things. And just because I see something is wrong doesn't mean it goes away tomorrow. I have to work, you know, and you have to work, and we all have to work on these things. And they change when they change. They don't change when I say they change. And that's that's something that she can, a lesson you can start early on with her, I think. And she can't make herself walk when she's two months old, you know. She can, she'll walk when she walks, you know, when her musculature is ready, when her nervous system develops, you know, then she'll walk. But I, I would bet she's a kid who probably wanted to walk when, you know, the first day. Yeah, I mean, patience is the thing. And I'm not sure you can really teach a kid patience. I'm really not sure. I think you can give her examples of patience that will help her a lot. And that it's the willpower is so important because nothing will change if you don't have the will to change. But just having the will isn't enough. Other things have to happen too. And most important, people have to cooperate. It's admittedly starting to feel a little repetitive at this point that you're going to want to change everything and people won't change, but you're going to show them and... It is. She's saying the same thing in different words. Yeah, but... <laughs> so is that what astrology really is? It's just semantics? Just like a good tarot card reading, a good astrology reading, there's a certain amount of sort of... It's a there's... little bit about seeing what sticks and what gets a response and... Hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. See, I was right about that other thing because it's also this part. Right. So I, I almost wonder, too, like if your mother's, as the actress, is sort of inadvertently feeding into this idea that she will have also this wild child, dramatic, headstrong, tempestuous daughter who (laughs) wants to run off to the city and change the world and have, I don't know, these visions, not of grandeur, but of how she will fix the world and mold it. But also highly ethical. It's interesting, just like, I, you know, I think if we kind of dissected these and put this person together, like, could this person actually function in in the world? I I don't know. Maybe in the 80s. Maybe in the 80s. There, there might be too many contradictions there. 
I think to change the world on the scale in which she's describing now, you're going to have to make some ethical compromises. It's true. It's true. And maybe this impulsive wild child wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah, maybe this maybe this wild child would sell her soul to make the world a better place. <laughs> I'm actually curious about your godparents and how they would respond to hearing this. Yeah, you know, I, I, I I'm not sure honestly. I they're both spiritual people. Um, my God, still. still. Well, you know, they didn't used to be. I think at this point in in the '80s, they were both still in the arts. Um, but as I grew older, my godmother became a Unitarian minister, and my godfather is now a Buddhist monk. Huh. The, the funny thing is actually when I was little and, and they were in the process to becoming these things, I thought that they were my godparents because they were both in spiritual vocations. Mm-hmm. And Quite so that literally I, God. Yes. <laughs> I thought that like some people had like doctor parents or law parents, but I had godparents. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny to me because my godparents were um, actually <laughs> psychologists. <laughs> so they were like... Mind parents. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, they'll they'll come up in another show. They may I, have failed. Right. Well, I can go into it very deeply, but I won't right now. Yikes! My, my it's my dad's old friend from um, he grew up in Queens, and so his longtime friend and his wife, and they lived in Long Island, and they were shrinks mm. by and large, and they basically were more or less my godparents. And every time I would tell people they were my godparents, people were really confused because I grew up Jewish. So you couldn't be Jewish and have godparents. That didn't make any sense to anybody because you told it to a Catholic and they thought you were just stupid. If anything were to ever happen to my parents, these people were to be my surrogate parents. And, I mean, I don't want to sound unthankful or make any crass comment, but I'm really glad that they are not my godparents. I'm I'm also glad that your parents are not dead. Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm saying, like, you know, I'm glad that everything worked out for the better, basically. (laughs) <laughs> but enough about me, more about six-month-old Cheshire, eight-month-old Cheshire. It's so strange to say these things that to me are so, are so, um, 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 attractive in a person. Mm-hmm. It sounds like someone I'd like to know, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, oh my God, nice strange beauty nobody has to chew upon. <laughs> and I keep on bringing it down to, you know, what... Everybody faces who has any kind of difference. Yeah, you know that yeah. it's going to be there's going to be some tough times because of well, that. But on the other hand, she's she's probably going to be the prom queen. You know, I mean, she, <laughs> this is a kid who who. Um, She'll be the prom queen, but she won't have a date. <laughs> she'll, she'll go by herself. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> probably no guy is good enough for her, right? That's probably what she'll think. But. Um, I don't think she's going to be an oddball in any way, shape, or form. I think she's very special, but she'll always want to be in a context of, like, the prom or something like that. You know, it'll be important to her to be the president of the student council or something like that. I think, you know, I see, I think the world's going to be so different by the time she's able to do anything that, who knows? You know, she. I when I looked at this chart I, in such a strange way, I saw the future because I think she's going to be normal. You know, I think she's going to be a regular kid in what the world is changing into now. That's what I really thought. That she's not going to stick out or be any different. The world is going to be different, and this is your basic person in that world. 
I don't want to be embarrassing. Not yeah, me. Cry, well, you know, I'm, uh, I have the unoptimistic version too, but um, see, for us it appears so negative, but for her it's her world, you know, it's, and so she'll just take it as it comes and deal with it and be a person who's, who's invested in making things happen. You know, we'll, we'll sort of all be still living in the 50s and the 60s when she's living in her own time. Mm -hmm. So she'll be able to deal with it far better than you will, I think. I really do. Oh, yeah. It's her world. <laughs> you were very vocal during that clip, and um, I don't know really what to say about that other than you clearly just weren't accepting the fact that you were going to be a regular kid. You, <laughs> they, they downgraded you so hard from President Messiah to basic bitch. <laughs> as, as my godfather Jan said, I don't want to be basic. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be the prom queen, but you're not going to have a date. Right. What is that nonsense? I actually, I am, I am like the least competitive person in certain... I don't know if that's true, actually. You are competitive. You're not trying to get what you want in so much as taking, you know, advantage of anybody else to get ahead. I, I'd say that's definitely true. I'm, I think I'm competitive with myself. You know, I have a healthy sense of wanting to, to get ahead personally. But, but yeah, I don't want to take anyone else down. But I actually went to a high school that didn't have a prom king and queen because they felt like that would be bad energy for really? the students. I just... Like, yes, nobody, that's no, true. That's weird. I didn't have a prom... <laughs> I didn't have a senior prom because nobody gave a shit. Oh. Like, they had proms, but not annually. It was like, let's do a prom. Uh, okay, fine. And then they <laughs> just... Your, your year, nobody felt like throwing a prom? <laughs> Exactly. I did. We had a sophomore year and junior year for my so, high school year. But so prom true. was like improv. Somehow that explains you. It do, it, it does explain <laughs> a lot of things. Oh, it all goes back to that prom. How many people did you uh, graduate with in my high school? Yeah, I think it was a little less than a hundred or about a hundred. Really? Yeah, I went to a small school. Yeah, and then I went to a small college too. That's surprising though that for being in a for growing up in an otherwise fairly large city that you went to such a small high school. I, it was a private school. Um, I see. Yeah, I was very fortunate to to be in a lot of small school settings. And I think that was really a really good place for me to learn. I think the college I chose, actually, one of the reasons I chose it was that it, it wasn't that competitive in terms of the kind of cutthroat, I don't know, Ivy League type of like um, academic competition and um, they didn't have any fraternities or sororities. I thought that that would kind of be a be a harsher in social environment, a little more cutthroat. Um, where, where did you go? I went to a school called Connecticut College, okay. a small small school in New London, Connecticut. Um, I am familiar. Yeah, my yeah, aunt was, went to Connecticut College. Oh wow! Was when it was still a girls' school, or yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It was co-ed by the time I got there. That's good. Yeah. It was great for me and my many... Meet those Geminis. <laughs> my many Gemini lovers. Oh, yeah. We have uh, one more clip here. Because, um, uh, unfortunately, the, the tape seems to cut off uh, midway through the, the second side. But <laughs> it ended on a pretty nice note, I think. And we have a little bit of that. The sun. The, and the thing with the problem with authority figures. That, I think that's something else to deal with. That you'll be dealing with mm -hmm. all the time is um, 
her feeling that authority figures are just terribly oppressive to her. And until she's about 30 years old, she, she will be very rebellious against that. And then I think after, after her Saturn return, she'll, she'll come around again and see that structure is really necessary because nothing gets done without it. And if you don't like the structure, you change it. You don't have to blow it up, you know. You, you could. You don't have to, you know. And maybe there are ways to, to change without. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. Yeah. <laughs> that means that when she goes through her Saturn return, she'll learn the structure that she really needs it. Of course, she'll be in jail at the time, so it'll be very good that she's learning to accept it by that time. Oh, I don't think she'll be in jail. No. No, you never know what your Saturn return's going to bring. Uh -huh. But it always brings something. I hate to say it, but I must go to work. You can't bring that to I have that on this tape. I've listened to this tape for 20 years. And Daddy will be saying, I have to go to work. She'll be saying, you what? Your father passed away five years ago. Yes, almost five years ago. If he was listening to this tape, <laughs> what would he say if he heard that? You know, it's funny because I'm surprised that he's kind of talking or engaging or asking questions in this at all. Because I really kind of saw him as a pretty practical type of person, not not particularly religious or or and and definitely not someone who would believe in astrology. Do you think he just entertained um, it because everybody else was on board? I don't know. I don't know if he was just kind of having some fun with it and, and you know, get, get, yeah, getting into it just because or or maybe he was actually interested in it. I don't know. Maybe it's, it is like kind of a new parent's dream to, to have a version of their child laid out before them, right? This little infant that they're, that they're trying to form. Were, did you say that you were equally close with both of your parents? Yeah, I, I was. I was very close with both of them and I'm still close with my mom. As all parents, they had different roles, and it's it's very hard to hear my dad on this recording, and that's that's the way he was. He was a very soft-spoken man. And I remember once, um, actually when I was teaching in Brooklyn, uh, he came and visited, and I had him come into my classroom. And this was my first year of teaching, and my first year of teaching, I really, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't the best, I'm not going to lie. I, I yelled a lot. I yelled at my students to get them to pay attention, and that was that was part of my classroom management. It got better as time went on, but I was definitely still in that yelling a lot to get attention um, in my classroom. And my dad, this very soft-spoken man, when he came in, so I had my students kind of gather on you know the the reading rug to to mm -hmm. listen to him, and and he just comes in with his soft voice, and they all quieted down to hear what he had to say and I was like oh my god that works too and it really taught me something and it it uh it, it stays with me today as it should um, yeah it sounded like a, a sort of a, a zen moment if you will really that you kind of you take with you going forward professionally and personally yeah that was definitely it was it was an epiphany in terms of teaching <laughs> Yeah. And how to command a room. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not always the loudest voice. That's that's not always the most helpful thing. 
This was really awesome. Um, Melissa? Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually kind of a perfect place to end. Thanks for hanging out with us. This was cool to go digging back through the tape. Thank you for inviting me. Cheshire Shanker, um, Lost in Rewound, thank you so much for coming in and sharing really just an an awesome relic from the past. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for digesting it with me. It was was fun to listen to with you guys. It was fun to be here and to, uh, uh, to be a part of it. This is Lost in Rewound. of your very own gathering dust in your parents' basement? Well, we'd love to hear your archived audio, no matter how old it is. Email your contributions to lostandrewound at gmail.com. We have come through much since we first began on this podcast. What you just heard before was by and large one of the more unique submissions yet, but That's what's kind of special about Lost and Rewound, you know? Every episode's carved around a specific theme. And after now 20 episodes under our belts, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't take the opportunity to cover some more baby-related footage. Doug, you have a tape to contribute. That's right, I do. This is... Quite. It was such a well-prepared introduction. I don't know how to follow it up. I mean, but well, uh, I'm happy to be presenting the first uh, tape of mine on the show. I think it's amazing. And, and uh, with us to discuss it is my sister Sally, who's joining us over uh, Google Hangout right now. Hi, Sally. Hi. I'm happy to be a part of it. We talk a lot about elementary school and middle school days on this show, mm-hmm. and Sally is actually a elementary school teacher. And off air, we were talking a little bit about how much kids do and don't remember about their teachers and vice versa. And Alon, you were saying that uh, it's astonishing to you how much people do remember? Oh, yeah. Or or the opposite? I, I think it really depends on the footprint that uh, a teacher has. I think really, I mean, Sally, you could probably attest to this, that part of the challenge of being a teacher is having that impression that you could make to any one student that will remember you for years to come. And I feel that I still remember every single teacher that I had in grade school, for better or for worse, the ones that have stood out as the best, I think, were the ones that gave me the the chance. And, uh, you know... Gave you the chance to what? Gave the chance to, you know... Gave me a chance to, like, turn the paper when I... After it was due, I guess. <laughs> but I that know. was not an issue in elementary school? They gave you second chances, you mean. <laughs> Indeed. But, um, but no, I mean, you, you get it. I mean, it's like, you know, you have a very specific job that uh, is to really give an impression and really just educate. So from that, Sally, two questions. How do yeah. you make sure that you're memorable? And is Indeed. that important to you? Yes. And then how many second chances do first graders need? <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I teach first grade, um, and I try to leave an impression on them, but you always kind of know those kids who are really enjoying being at school and those kids who think it's a chore. Um, So I just kind of try to get in a couple days where those kids who think coming to school is a chore, they get to have some fun. So hopefully that'll be their memory that connects with me. Um, I have a handful of kids, like my kids that I had last year, the second graders, all like wave to me and are so excited to see me. Um, but like we were saying earlier, as they get older, it's less and less of them that they're still thinking about their first grade teacher. Yeah. They have a, a higher number of teachers that you have to compete with. And we exactly. all, we all know that yeah. fifth grade teacher is really cool. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to listen to a clip from the day you were born 
uh, September 1st, 1986. Um, awesome. And by way of introduction for Alan and Melissa, my dad recorded this, and um, it became sort of like a family joke mm-hmm. down the line because I said a bunch of weird stuff and didn't really pay any mind to the fact that I was being recorded. I was just saying whatever nonsense I wanted. Um, I was three at the time, the day Sally was born, and uh, also in the room were my grandmother and grandfather and my mom's like best friend, Eileen, and I was building a Lego house, and you hear me describing the Lego house and the people in it at various points in the tape. Awesome. I think that covers all the uh, pertinent background details. And now we listen. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, Daddy? Oh, I was just, just going to make a tape. Did you know that mommy have, had a baby girl last night, Doug? Where? Did you know that? Where? At the hospital. Isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that great? You want, you want to, we can go and see uh, mom and the new baby after He-Man today. You want to do that? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Great. Should we think we should get a get a present for the new baby or something at the store? Mm-hmm. What store? Oh, I don't know. What would you like to get the, the new baby? I don't know. What kind of toy do you have in mind? I don't know. You don't know? We have lots of rattles. Lots of rattles? Yeah. Well, that's a thought. I want to make a nice baby. Did you have a good night's sleep last night, buddy? Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I fell out of my bed. You did? Yeah. Y'all, are you okay? Yeah. Gotcha. So what do you think about having a baby sister? Are you pretty excited about it? Yes. You know what her name is? Mm-mm. Her name is Sally. <laughs> I don't like that name, Sally. <laughs> well, actually, her name is Sarah. We're going to call her Sally. Why would do you want to call her Duke? Yeah. No. That's true. I'm just, I'm just teasing you, buddy. Let me hear you say Sally. Sally. There you go. You say that real good, buddy. Did you eat any lunch yet today? No. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get some lunch in a little bit, and then we'll go to the store to get Sally a present. Want to do that? All right. Let me get her something. Let me get it. Okay, I'll let you pick it out. All right. All right. How big do you think the baby is, Doug? I don't know. Is it a big baby or a little baby? Respect, a little baby. A little? Uh-huh. Yeah. Now you got a sister. Yeah, ma- mommy's, oh, yeah. mommy's sleeping there right now at the hospital. Why? She's pretty tired from uh, delivering that baby. She was up all night. She told me to give you a kiss on the neck. Mm-hmm. Said that she loves you. What was that? A rocket. A rocket. A rocket said that. Did you miss mommy this morning? Yep. Yeah. She misses you too. We'll go and see her after she gets some rest. Okay. Okay? I call you Foothead. You what? I call you Foothead. You're going to call me Foothead? Yeah. That's his monster. Mm-hmm. What monster? Is this Foothead right here? No. <laughs> That's my uh, mommy. 
This is? Yeah. She fell <coughs> off the bed. Oh, she's colorful, huh? She's a complicated woman. <laughs> you were black, but you fell down. Oh, yeah? You fell off the bed. That's where my bed is. So this is your bed right here? Yeah. What is that? Is that, a house? Is that our house? Yeah. Sally, have you heard this tape before? Yes, but it's been years. Oh, I just we listened to it a bunch when I was a kid. I loved to listen to it because it was the night I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had lots of jokes about, like, kind of about Doug because of the tape. <laughs> well, there, there Please are shit. yeah, like quotables. Just we would always quote it. Yeah, rocket to the door. Yeah, like what does that even mean? I guess I was <laughs> building a rocket ship or something with the Legos, but. This is totally um, uh, a non sequitur as right. far as the tape is yeah. concerned. 
Well, it, it isn't. And, and calling each other foothead. Yeah. I mean, well, as you set up for what the actual scenario was that was going on, like what the actions were going on, you're being a kid. You're in your own little world. Yep. Uh, and you're playing with Legos while the adults are talking about the about your mother's uh, a about new, the miracle new baby of, of birth. Exactly. <laughs> and where are my you? Sister. Exactly. And you're being a three year old playing with Legos as a three year old is supposed to be doing. So you're just like in your in the zone. Hey, Doug, do you have any memories at all of this night or this tape or? Well, I do, but I think that partially I have them because the tape exists. Right. Because I recalled it as being nighttime mm-hmm. and then listening to it again in preparation for the episode and like, you know, getting it off the tape. Um, it's very clearly the afternoon. Cause my dad asks me about lunch and we're making plans for five o'clock yeah. that night. Um, and I remembered it being like eight thirty or nine at night. Obviously it's not. Uh, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I've got some pretty decent memories of my brother being born just because we're five and a half years apart. So I was old enough at the time to not like to like to understand what was going on, and my parents sort of gave me rudimentary biology of how where babies come from. And I appreciated that aspect of this tape where my dad's kind of dodging around why my mom is tired. Yeah, and just said from having that baby. Yeah, we got we got some, I got the the five year old appropriate biology lesson. Yeah, uh, but. Like my mom, my mom's in labor for like a day and a half, and so like we went and visited, like hung out in the hospital for a while. I remember being really bored, um, and then when my brother was born, they scrubbed me up and gave me a little mask, and I I, I helped catch him. <laughs> awesome. There are pictures somewhere, I think, in the the one uh, childhood box I've yet to find of um, the day my brother was born, and the, like me with my little five year old and Barbie pink fingernails helping to cut the umbilical cord with the doctor. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so that was like that was really cool. Like it was cool for me to be there and be a part of the whole birth process, bringing the sibling into the family. Um, it was just super cool and super appropriate for us to be talking about tonight because I just got back from his college graduation. Mm. Ah, congratulations! Yeah. So just bringing it all full circle. I would like to talk about how crazy my childhood three-year-old accent is. Yes. Because I oh say... Oh my gosh, it's so cute. Let's, so, let, let's talk about the South here and how... It's not even that South. Maryland, just, yeah, Maryland is not the South, Alon. I'm sorry to break it to you. I have like a little bit of that going on and I have a whole lot of git. 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 That's, that's, <laughs> a Maryland, that's a Maryland thing, the git. Yeah. It's that, pretty good. That, so it's a Maryland it's, accent. It, it's, it's a colloquial. It's a regional kind of sound. Yeah, uh, and I still do it sometimes. And uh, Kate, my wife... Really gives me shit about it. Speaking of Kate, the fact <laughs> we, do we want to point out that Kate and Sally were friend, like how yeah. that whole connection. Yeah, uh, you feel like you, you guys can tell it better. Point it out. Yeah, Kate and I grew up together. We became friends in I don't know what it was first grade, um, and we've been friends since. She I think fell in love with Doug when we were six years old, and now they're married. <laughs> uh, but Kate and I were best friends the whole way through. It's so special because that's like the kind of story you want to hear about. Just like the person that had a crush on you when you were like seven years old, and then just ends up, you know, being your wife. Basically, that's pretty that's like some boy meets world shit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, Alon, you literally just retold the story. It's not like that. It's exactly. <laughs> it is that. exactly that. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did change the age, but basically, it's the same thing. So Topanga to Corey, uh, to Kate, to Doug. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it, it is. It is really quite a remarkable. And hey, first grade. That that's uh, something in- interesting about that because you, being a first grade teacher, you must get a laugh out of seeing like certain kids probably looking at other kids and probably developing crushes on each other or something. Or do you see that? Yeah, I, it totally weirds me out when I'm seeing a six year old saying like, "That's my boyfriend." It's <laughs> it's just too weird. 
but then you think about well when i was a little kid like i like i thought boys were cute you know but thinking about it from the adult point of view it's totally weird does that ever like get out of hand in the classroom like kids uh relationships like that luckily no at the most it's been that they hold each other's hands and then the next day they're grossed out by each other so it's usually fine perfect um but i I, yeah i had one mom of one of the kids that she like encouraged it and the first grader's boyfriend was in like fourth grade and it was very weird oh that is weird that's weird cut it out mom that's like what a (laughs) nine-year-old and a six-year-old i that ain't right oh yo that's a little weird. Um, Doug, let's talk about what is Lego money that we heard on the tape. Oh, or chalk money. <laughs> and chalk money. Any, I didn't understand multiples or like uh, increments. So anything where there was more than one was money because I understood that you could have like more than one dollar, but I didn't understand like counting really. So I had Lego money and chalk money. It just meant that I had a lot of it. Right. So you're going to take your Lego money to the store to buy a present for baby Sally. Right. Exactly. Yeah. With, like, just with your Legos, not like fake play money, like Monopoly money, just, just Legos. Yeah, like anything was currency, like hot dogs, hot dog money, whatever. You were bartering at three years old. Yeah, exactly. That's that's quite industrious for a three, you know, knowing how to deal with your money before you even go to school. I got these Legos, man. <laughs> if you want them, I got them. Oh, what do you give me for it? <laughs> there was one good joke that was very quiet in the background by uh, Eileen when she was uh, observing... One of my Lego people, which I guess was a like really mishmash of colors, and her, I don't know, her one-liner was, it's a complicated woman, and it made everyone else in the room <laughs> laugh. And I didn't understand or hear it, I just let it fly right by. Uh, Sally, any, anything from, from this that we failed to mention? I think the only thing that I didn't remember from listening to this when we were younger was that I hear, is it Diggle and Papa or Grandma and Grandpa? Uh, yeah. Grandma and Grandpa. I could hear Grandpa say she didn't have any eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <laughs> I didn't remember that uh, specifically either. And yeah, he has a couple good ones. There's just no eyebrows yeah. at all. Yes. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Diggle and Pop Pop, though. Sorry, I, I couldn't help. That's but... the opposite side of the family, so they're not on this tape. But but yes. Uh, what was the first word? Diggle. Diggle. D i g g l e. Yeah, that's our grandma name for her. I love it. I I've never heard that name before for a grandmother i believe it was made up because i think it was like sort of the first sound the oldest grandchild made or something like that and that was sort of how it came about and it's stuck yep this is amazing it's just dig for short fair enough that's awesome she's dig i'm doug it's a past tense kind of thing (laughs) and on that note yep sally thank you so much (laughs) for uh listening to this with us and uh for being born so that we could have it i'm happy to help (laughs) <laughs> Sally cool. Johnson on Lost and Rewound thanks so much for uh, for joining thank you guys for having me we'll be back in a little bit to wrap up Lost and Rewound Finally, on this episode, it would be odd if I didn't at least throw my hat into the ring at all. You couldn't let anyone else have the moment, could you? I'm always happy to take a back seat and let whatever show be about everybody else. That's totally cool. It just I couldn't help but notice that with all the baby clips that I actually have a few baby clips as well. And 
in regards to the context of the fact that the Danziger Zone would have never come up were it not for my parents even promoting recording in the first place. Your modesty is not going to help us sell podcasts. Yeah, so it's look. the best clip ever. Yeah, sure. I yeah, mean, it's, it's the it's it's one it's, of the. It's a pretty good clip. It's my debut. Uh, actually, well, there's two. When I was three years old, my mom recorded me. There was another one earlier that was recorded when I was maybe like a year old and I wasn't even talking yet. And I mean, I guess if we want to get prime time Alan Danziger when he was essentially a newborn crying like a baby, I mean, that's totally cool. I and this may not be the episode for it, but I think at some point it would be fun to listen to like Alan's first audio recording. But for now, we have the second recording that was ever made of me with my mom. And here it is. Hi, Elon. This is a tape recorder. Hi. This is Carol. This is Carol Lieberman. So so glad we clarified what you were uh, chanting there in the little in the short. It was clip. like a combination of GI Joe and GoBots. I, th- I, th- I would watch that. Th- I would watch that show too. That sounds Hell like yeah. an awesome show. GI Joe and Transformers were only two of the biggest shows in the mid to late eighties, and then GoBots just came out as sort of like a knockoff of the Transformers, and never ever managed to see any sort of success. I think. That was a show that was on USA Express, is what it was called. It was like a Saturday morning cartoon program that the USA Network, which was new at the time, had. Uh, Did that also feature in a minute? If you YouTube, all you Joseph Gordon-Levitt fans will be happy to know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt, one of his first gigs, was doing an in a minute spot. All you Joseph Gordon-Levitt fans all those are J- going to feel the pain. 
All those JGL fans out there listening to Lost and Rewound. The GoBots was a very short-lived cartoon that I think was started in 1985. And I, I only looked at it because I was curious. If I'm saying JoeBots, it must have been current. And I must have been watching it on the TV while that was going on. Or I have no idea. I clearly could read but just couldn't pronounce things correctly. So <laughs> Go was Joe. Do you have any recollection of recording this tape or talking to your mom? Like, since this was the the first one, or your second? Yeah, I mean, tape. the first one is basically me just saying colors and crying and not eating my food, and my parents using the recorder to get me to talk. And that's really where this whole shit show began of me being obsessed with the sound of my own voice. Um, the seed was planted. The early. The seed was planted early. My parents were enablers for sure with the whole playing the voice back to me and me laughing at my own voice and. And the whole (laughs) – the the recording of my voice, I think, was something that was alien to me. I didn't know what was going on. But you could hear there my mother very succinctly, a tape recorder. Hello. Here, Alon. Say words. Say words. Say Say words. Say words. Joe Butts. Joe Butts. Joe Butts. Joe Butts. Lost and rewound. Oh boy, what a show that was. What a show, what a show. Our thanks to Cheshire Shanker and Sally Johnson for sharing their memories. I think this was a, this was a particularly fun show. We had some good guest spots. I had, I, what are you looking at me like that for? I'm, I'm just waiting for you to say something. You're, you're, you're looking say at me like, anything. You're, you're, waiting for you to weave the gold that you weave. You're just giving me the what the fuck are you talking about face. Um, no, I thought this was, this was a. That's a face, that's a face you should be giving me. Well, I, all the time. I've just given up at this point. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> we've learned just to let you go. Why should you never notice when we're doing it? I don't notice you because I usually am sitting next to you, but I'm usually sitting across from Alyssa, waiting with bated breath. At this point, though, I realized if I interrupt your ramble, it just makes it worse. The, the circle or the train of thought. Yeah, it's all like a downward spiral. And the it, USA and Express. You have to you have to hit the bottom to come back up, and if you like derail it, it just kind of starts going around in the middle. Thanks to Cheshire Shanker and Sally Johnson for being patient, as Doug Johnson and Melissa Lloyd are with my rambles. No need to apologize. I just like describing the spiral that we're all on. Indeed. Magical mystery tour. And And as plugged earlier in the show, as we are usually doing, if you have anything you would like to submit, do not be a stranger and reach out to us on any of the social media platforms or via our email directly at lostandrewound at gmail.com. On the internets everywhere, we're lost and rewound. Give us a shout. Tell us you love us, hate us, want to send some clips. Yeah. Tell us you're listening. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Indeed. And that's our show, folks. See you next time on Lost and Rewound. Lost and Rewound is hosted and produced by Alon Danziger, Doug Johnson, and Melissa Lloyd. You can find us online at lostandrewound.com. Stop lying!